Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I'm James Ham. Joining me today, Ken Cadenella, the Assistant General Manager of the Sacramento Kings. What's going on, Ken? Hey, how are you, James? I'm good. This is kind of strange. We're we're busting out a quick podcast here at the end of practice, uh, but you've got the season less than a week away. How encouraged are you by the way that Dave Yeager's been able to shape this team so far during training camp? Sure. Well, well thank you for having me on. I actually enjoy listening as well. So you definitely have put together a, a plethora of good material here that no, no reason uh, to doubt why you won't continue to build on this uh, stellar podcast. Uh, I'm very excited. I, I think that this group... Uh, as we saw, especially in the first five games of the preseason, really started to gel quite quickly. In fact, faster than even I expected. And then we saw in game six, they took a step back. The truth's probably somewhere in the middle there, right? Um, I, I am excited to see the regular game start with this group and really see what the best of our best have to offer. Uh, playing in a system with ball sharing, constant cutting, frequent movement, uh, defensive principles that you know, we're hoping to hold you know, people accountable via our coaching staff. And those types of principles and the type of uh, play that we're starting to see in training camp, the first five games, we hope to continue to see as we start the season. It's a very regimented sort of offensive and defensive scheme. How long do you think this will take? And, I mean, clearly you guys signed Jaeger for the long term. He's got a four-year contract. It sounds like he'll be here for a long time. But how long do you think it will take to get this thing really rolling? And what are, you, what are your expectations on that? Yeah, I try not to get into timetables, especially as it relates to what our coaching staff is trying to implement, right? They're going to have their their timing and their reasons for implementing different things, and we defer to them completely. It's 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 That's what they're here to do. Um, as far as the roster itself goes, I think that we've, you know, built built a group that gives gives our coaching staff a lot of different directions they can go. The ability to play big, the ability to play small, um, the ability to play up tempo, and the ability to grind it out. So uh, while also surrounding our star players with guys that can complement what they do well. So at, at that point, you leave it in the coach's hands as far as the timing goes, uh, whether it's the first 10 games, middle of the season, etc. Uh, you see more when the real games get started up. So I think it would be remiss of me to, to try to put a number out at this point. Okay, so young players and veterans, uh, you've got a really interesting mix of players. I've heard this is a two, three-year plan. How does this, this go early on? Because it looks like you have so many veterans that it's going to be tough to get young players actually on the floor for game action. So does that mean a lot of trips to Reno? What, what do you sort of envision this mixture? Sure. Uh, what we built here is a group that, as I mentioned, complements each other. It also allows our young players to develop at their own timelines. Uh, we don't have to force somebody to take a cram course 
or potentially get thrown into the fire if they're not ready. And if they are ready, we also are flexible enough to be able to throw them in if they can help us win games. Right. So at the end of the day, again, that's a coach's decision. If he feels like somebody is at the point where he can help, the player can help him win games, we're all for it. Obviously, it helps us in the long run, too, if those young players are developing. But we would never want to sacrifice our current uh, on-court product for that at this point. You know, I think we're, we're in this to win, to win and compete for the playoffs without sacrificing our future and maintain the flexibility that we built this summer uh, salary cap-wise as well to be able to go any different direction as, as the team evolves. It does feel like you've got options. You can enter the free agent market huge this next summer, or you can wait until the summer after where all of a sudden you're looking at, I don't know, I've done math, you could be $90 million <laughs> under the cap. I mean, you do have a lot of options going forward. Is that really one of the, the principles that guide you as, as an assistant GM? You know, I think we're evaluated in a lot, a lot of different ways. We're obviously evaluated in wins and losses, and then I'm sure there's the, the, the cap underground personnel and people that follow that to a T that would say, you know, this is how you would want to do it from a cap perspective. We've tried to mix both, maximize what we can do in terms of cap flexibility, yet also, like I said, you know, compete on the court right now. Um, We've struck a, a nice balance of that, I think, this year. I think bringing in the type of players that we know that can contribute right away, that can help us win games, yet maintain that flexibility. Um, so I, I would say I've seen the benefits of that other places that I've worked, and I've seen the benefits of that watching afar and admiring other teams, how they've done that. And that is something that was by design uh, this summer. We definitely took a patient, measured approach uh, with our with our signings and with our with our team, in order to make sure that we are able to capitalize on opportunities that we think will provide the most bang for their buck in the long term. Okay, so we're getting close to the season. The rumor mill's already churning. How do you deal with sort of all of the rumors that get hit? With uh, your players are getting hit with them, your front office is getting hit with them. It's a nonstop media barrage. And, I mean, I think you haven't been in Sacramento for a long time, but it, it almost feels like Sacramento gets picked on a little bit and gets added a little bit more added pressure in these situations because they're an easy target and they, they always seem to be added to any possible trade rumor. How are you dealing with that? And sort of, you know, nothing specific, but, you know, of course you've got the Rudy Gay situation, you've got all these other situations. Just as a whole, how do you, as a young group that just got together, work through that? Sure, and uh, personally, I feel like we've got a great group to work with as we vet through different concepts um, with Vlade and, and Peja and uh, Mike and Roland and, and, and Anthony McClish and the various people we work with in our front office that really allows us and our scouts, quite frankly, we all work together to vet ideas and, and concepts that uh, either of our making or uh, that come on under our radar. Um, we definitely do not let whatever is out there in the in the internet um, affect our decision making. I think that that's something that's certainly entertaining for fans and and keeps keeps certain business afloat, right? I mean, it definitely <laughs> is uh, monetized quite quite well. Um, but on our end, if we ever get in the business of letting that impact our decision making, then we're being short-sighted and we're not going to want to uh, have that be the type of impetus for a move. 
it is difficult when there are things that are written that are not true at all or even remotely true and at some point you have to just not comment on rumors because it gets out of hand um, as it relates to you know our players you know I think at a certain point you would think it would lessen because one we've um, you know we've had enough of that leading up to the season you think that that would die down and um, and two it's time to really as a franchise move forward I think a lot of the stuff that's been written this summer has been revisionist history and as a franchise, we clearly have a bright future to move forward to. And stepping in with this new building and with all these new players and the group we've built, it's an opportunity for the narrative to change dramatically. Now, will that change overnight? Potentially not. But I would think gradually, you probably will see a lot less of that as the team develops here uh, in, this, in this next iteration. All right, so you've got to run. I know you've got a busy day. Season's almost here. You've built an interesting roster. Uh, is there anything that stands out to you right away that you might need to, to bolster as the season goes on? Or are you pretty, pretty okay with the team that you guys have built going into this season and, and then being able to carry forward with the flexibility that you have? Yes, yes. The operative word is flexibility, but I also would, would not hesitate to say um, that we're excited about the group that we have, that we're working with. Um, we think, it, like I mentioned, it just gives us a lot of, not, not just cap flexibility, it gives us a lot of flexibility on how we want to play on any given night against any type of team and gives us a chance to compete uh, against any team. And that, that's all you can ask for in this first phase. We, we, we're excited about that. And you know, that next step um, will potentially occur sooner than, than later if, uh, if, if all things align. And we still maintain the flexibility to add to that growth as we go forward. All right, perfect. Well, that's Ken Catanella. Thank you so much for joining me, and uh, we'll have you on again. Thanks so much, James. Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me, as always, in this second portion of the podcast, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, welcome to basketball hell. <laughs> I appreciated the subtle undertones of your hoopball.com song. And uh, it's not basketball hell. I don't know what, you know, whoever's talking about. I, I, I didn't <laughs> really chase that down because it sounded like your typical standard LOL Kings fair. But it's, uh, it, I don't think it's basketball hell in Sacramento this week. I think that there's a new arena opening. Um, you know, you know too much. I, I know too much about how hard the city worked to uh, get the arena so I can't really talk about Sacramento being basketball hell right now without with that going on. Well, that's that's just the quote that George Carl has given in his book, uh, which is parts of which have seeped out. There's a, a good portion of the book that he's releasing um, that that deals with his time in Sacramento, and uh, he definitely is kind of interesting. He said that when he came in the door, Rudy Gay said, "Welcome to basketball hell." And so now that's making the rounds. Oh, Rudy Gay, who wants out of Sacramento, is it told George Carl, welcome to basketball of hell, like a year and a half ago. What I, I hope that people understand who they don't take that out on Rudy Gay because, number one, it was completely, it was Rudy Gay in a completely different place at that point. This was a year and a half ago. Uh, number two, this was basketball hell that the Michael Malone situation had blown up so badly in the Kings' face that there was no, I mean, the mood in the locker room during the 
was it seven and twenty one Tyrone Corbin era was so negative and horrible to watch everything just fall apart and a team quit. It did feel like basketball hell. So when George Carl came in, I you know again we can we've discussed the merits of whether or not they should have done the George Carl deal a long time ago, uh, but it was a very dark time. And so it doesn't surprise me that, that Rudy Gay would say something like that because I know Rudy Gay and he's laid back and he's funny and he, and he says things that are uh, off the cuff. Like uh, when, I guess when you're in Milwaukee and you get injured, you eat uh, in regards to OJ Mayo. So I, I just think that again, it was a time and a place, but I, I think they are in better times now, Aaron. I think they're in a better place. Well, I, I think that book is going to be hilarious. That's what I tweeted and it got some run. Um, George is going to tell his story. And then I accidentally, you know, when I saw that this book was coming out, I forget who, who publicized it, but I accidentally clicked on, if you like this book, you might like the other George Carl book. And it appears as if he does one of these every five to 10 years. And they're this kind of like ghost written, you know, things that really look kind of low, uh, low effort or low production quality or whatever have you, you know, just kind of get a book out there and let people read it. And, um, you know, it's just, I think it's going to be a really funny book. You should read the comments on this last book. It looks like a couple people read it. Um, it I think George is going to play fast and loose, and I think it's going to be funny. So I'm looking forward to that. I am kind of looking forward to it too because I know that he had a rough time here and that he felt hamstrung, and I think some people inside the Kings are probably fearing what George may say um, just because you know it's going to rehash a bunch of stuff that doesn't feel real good. But I also know that the book is, has been handed to guys like Zach Lowe already, and we haven't seen all of this stuff already filtering out and, and becoming more and more and more of an issue. You know, George, had he, he clearly took uh, a hard line when it came to the chef not making his coaching staff meals. And again, the, the Kings understand that, and it's, it's one of those situations. Um, but it, it, should be, it should be an in an enthralling look at George Carl's life in basketball. And, you know, I know he's not the only coach writing books out there uh, from their time in Sacramento. Probably won't be the only person that writes books. I know there are a lot of people around the Kings that are like, man, if these walls could talk, I, you know, I've got volumes that could be written on this situation and what's happened over the, over the course of the last decade. So, but saying that Aaron, I, I think we can move forward, right? We're, we're moving forward into a new season. The Kings are zero and zero, which is something that I think everyone appreciates that there's always hope at the beginning of every season of every sport for every team. There's always some glimmer of hope. And uh, I think the Kings are, are hoping that it's not just about the beautiful golden one center, but they actually do have a quality product uh, that will compete for a playoff spot, whether they're in or not. And, we have positivity moving forward. Yeah, yeah. And I think we should get to the big news right away. I did make the trip up the hill. I made it to Reno. And it's not the road to 33. It's the road to 34. And and so... Uh, the road to 34. I, I feel like we've... Um, you know, the, the, when you say that there's hope, I think that you look at this roster and you look at the middle of the Western Conference, which has softened. You know, yes, the bottom of it's gotten better and the top is still pretty good. But I think the middle of the Western Conference is not what it once was. I think the Eastern Conference is weak as usual. And so I think it was Doug who said it on the cast a couple weeks ago. I, I mean, 40 should not be out of the question. I guess I'll make a prediction at the end of the show. 
as to what they're going to win. Um, but just up and down the roster, I like the additions. I like the way that the offense has been conducted. I think defensively they'll be night and day better. So you look at that and you say, how could they not win more than 33 games? I, I just, to me, the, the two are incomparable. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, we'll get to predictions late. We'll do predictions at the end of the show. Um, but first, let's get to the roster. The roster's almost set. Uh, the Kings waived Lamar Patterson earlier in the week. There's some interesting things that are going to go on there with Lamar Patterson. We'll explain a little bit later. Uh, but it, everyone around the team expects one thing to happen here in the next 24 hours, and that is for... Uh, for Jordan Farmar and for Isaiah Cousins to be waived and the roster to be set at 15. Uh, they have to go through the the initial eight games of the season without Darren Collison. Everyone knows that by now. Ty Lawson will be the starter from what I know uh, on game one, even though they did give Garrett Temple a start in a, in one of the against the Clippers. Um, and, and they're kind of they're gonna kind of move forward with this group right now and the other thing is, I think people should know, is that uh, when Darren Collison is suspended eight games, from my knowledge of it, he can't actually, he's on the active roster for the first eight games, so the Kings can't even fill that spot with somebody on one of the 13-man active roster, so they'll have to play shorthanded with 12 players for the first the first uh, eight games of the season. So Aaron, how comfortable are you with this roster going into the season? You know, I think the big elephant in the room is the Ty Lawson situation um, that played out the way that it did. I think that there was some internal decision making that they were making on the fly and uh, they didn't quite know what to do with him for a little bit there. But they coalesced around him and they've circled the wagons. Mm -hmm. And now it's time, you know, to see what he can do. He's going to be the guy, you know, for the first eight games and the early preseason returns on the court were very good off the court. You know, you just hope that he's, um, you know, getting the treatment that he might need, you know, that everything's going in the right direction on that front. And you're hoping that you're sending the right message to your team, you know, about the importance of being on time and punctual and all of that. Um, on the court, I think that he's going to really be, you know, a godsend for the Kings. And maybe that's why they're coalescing around him. I think he's going to solidify the position between he and Garrett Temple. I think they'll be able to hold it down. And everything filters into a bit of a log jam from there. I think we're going to see Rudy Gay come in and look for his shot quite a bit. I think you're going to see Ben McLemore come in and look for his shot in the minutes that he plays. Uh, but beyond that, I think you're going to see a lot of the base offense run through DeMarcus Cousins, Aaron Aflalo, Rudy Gay on the post. And, and that's going to be some nice and uh, welcome stability for them. And then defensively, you just got to see how are they meshing? Are they, are they experiencing a difference in tone? on that end are they getting after it and and that we'll see early and that'll tell us a lot i like their schedule early i, I like their chances to come out of this at least four and four yeah the first eight games i i kind of feel the same way i mean okay so just a rundown for kings fans if you don't have a schedule in front of you the first eight games without collison uh they have two two home games in that stretch and the rest are road games they start out in phoenix against the suns at what is it the talking stick resort arena uh then they go uh they come home for the spurs on thursday then they have the timberwolves on saturday then they go on the on the road for atlanta miami orlando milwaukee and finish up in toronto when they come back to sacramento they'll have darren collison for game nine 
and you know you'll kind of take a deep breath and say where are we right now but this stretch it, it has winnable games I think the Suns are a winnable game I think Minnesota is a winnable game although they're so athletic and fun to watch they've they've been difficult for the Kings the last couple of years uh, I think Atlanta is a much more beatable team this year. I think Miami is a very, very beatable team, especially when DeMarcus Cousins starts to destroy Hassan Whiteside's psyche and, and he goes and sits <laughs> on the bench, which I, I always find humorous. And if you look oh, at that that's team, gonna be fun. that Miami team is not very good at I, I'm going to take exception to that. I like this Miami team. You're I was tempted. Crazy. To, I was tempted to take the over here. You got Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra. Nobody's going to get up for these guys anywhere. They're going to just take that night off, especially in South Beach. Oh, my God. You know, so I probably I didn't even think of the South Beach angle when I was doing this thing the other day. So I think they're going to overperform and they're going to run. I mean, that's going to be a light team that's going to run a lot. And so I'm not I don't look at them as like the easy out. I look at Orlando and Milwaukee as the easy outs. I look at. Yeah. Phoenix is a very easy out. I mean, those guys are a mess. On, on multiple levels right now. Uh, Minnesota is a tough squad. That one, I, I could see DeMarcus locking down Cat just based on principle. I could see him really getting up for that game. He's played well against DeMarcus, so he's such a tough guard. And, you know, the, I think the one nice thing is, if I'm not mistaken, the Atlanta and Miami games are back-to-back. So it's in Atlanta, and then they'll fly to South Beach. They won't even get in until really late, so there won't they won't have that party time. That Atlanta-Miami combo is a little dangerous, man. I, you know, it is a little dangerous, but it's early in the season, and you need to you need to rein it in. You need to be focused on on the task at hand early in the season. So I'm hoping that they, they know that, and it's not like if they were to have that Atlanta-Miami uh, in, Mar- in March when the season, you know, potentially in over the last decade has, has been over already – then there's trouble there. But I would say you could stick the team in Orlando and have them bust down to Miami or something, but you got Tampa Bay right there. You know, that little uh, region I of the country is just, you know, it's developing an economy down there. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they're gonna be okay. But but when we look at these, I mean I can see I could see six and two. I could also see two and six if they just really get off to a rough start and struggle on the road. It really depends on how much they stick to their their basic principles and in talking to Coach Yeager over the last couple of weeks, which, you know, it's like every day I, I go and I hang out with Coach Yeager and we try to figure out something new and interesting to, to, to discuss. But it's it's really such a challenge. because And this isn't a knock on George Carl. I don't think people should look at it this way. Uh, I've knocked George Carl's system in the past. and you know, But when you try to go from a free-flowing offense, which, look, George Carl's not the only one who runs a free-flowing offense. They're another 10 coaches in the league that run these free-flowing, wild, crazy offenses. Uh, But when you go from that, and defense for that matter, but when you go from that to a regimented Dave Yeager system, not just a roll the ball out there and go get me some baskets, an actual system, it takes so long. And I think what we saw in the Clippers game last week was that the Kings started out and they were okay. They were principles, principles, principles. They came in with their second unit. They instantly shifted gears into just chaos mode. And and then they tried to come back. They went back and forth trying to – they were battling. You can see they were battling the mental uh, – sort of the switch of between being free-flowing and being this regimented team. And sometimes that free-flowing switching defense and – 
and floating all over the place offense, it it's just tough to to focus on, on what you're supposed to be doing, especially when you're early into learning a system. And, and you just nailed it. What I saw in the preseason overall was defensively them trying to knock off whatever you want to call it from last year and even yeah. previous years. I mean, the gambles in the backcourt and the gambles on just everything in general, it's so undisciplined. And that's what happens when you get in there and you say, oh, we got to run, run, run. And, you know, there's no recourse for a bad gamble in the backcourt. And and so you're just seeing that stuff happen. And it's, you know, it's mind numbingly bad four on five on the other side, you know, uh, four against two, whatever you, you want to call it. It's it's bad. So I think that it's going to be very hard for them to be perfect in their execution you know, even to the expectation level that we should all have, I think they're going to be slowly ramping up to that. And it's going to take about 20 to 30 games because they took the last 20 games of the last season and decided they weren't important. Yeah. And I know Jaeger even jokingly said it's going to take a year and a half. He said that's how long it's going <laughs> to take a year and a half to get the system down. I don't think he's joking. I actually I don't think do. so either. I do believe that it he'll slowly. OK, so it's going to be a lot of high high post right now. But the nuances to the high post are going to be very rudimentary. So we're not going to see all the cuts and, and the dips and the dodges that you're going to eventually see from this high post offense. But we talked about this before, Aaron. You can't you can't be the Golden State Warriors, right? You and if you think you can, you're you're moronic. And and I actually, if I could jump in, I think what I've seen out of them offensively, I just have really liked. I mean, yes, it's rudimentary, but. It's clean and it's perfect for the personnel. Like Rudy Gay, you want him coming off these rub cuts and getting one to two dribbles and getting the ball in a kind of a triple threat position on the move from about 18 feet away. And and he's getting those. And and that, you know, along with Aaron Aflalo, who I wasn't as high on as everybody else, I like what he does in this offense. I, do I like what Darren Collison yeah. does in this offense. So I think offensively, you're going to see the night and day type stuff happen defensively just by virtue of not, you know, having so many dumpster fires and so many different levels. I think that they're going to improve as well. But yeah, the offense looks clean. It does. And my point there, what I was trying to get to with the Golden State Warriors saying is that, look, you can't be the Warriors. You can't run their system because you don't have Steph and you don't have Clay and you don't have now Kevin Durant. And even for that team to work, they have to have Draymond Green being who he is. And the Kings just don't have those pieces. They have different pieces. And you have to play to the skill and the strength of what you have. And I see so it's such a copycat league where teams are trying to play this this wild. Again, it's what I see from Portland. Portland's trying to be like the junior squad that eventually will overtake the, the master. But the fact is, it's going to take years because... The Warriors just aren't, they're not old. They're going to be good for another five or six years. And Portland trying to run a similar style is just going to fail at doing that when it comes to playing against the actual team that you're trying to compete with. And that it's just, to me, that's a bad idea. I think what you have to do is you have to take some other system and just be so good at it that you can beat the Warrior system. You can beat the Portland system by being really, really good at what you do and I and sort of playing to what your strengths are. And I think Jaeger's system is absolutely perfect for DeMarcus, for for the roster that they have built right now. And I've said this in the past and people may or may not like like when I say it, but if you really look at 
Darren Coulson and uh, and Mike Conley Jr. stats and the way that they play the game, there's not that much that separates the two. I'm not saying that Darren is is as good as Mike Conley Jr., but he's not even that much of a poor man's version of. They're very, very similar in the way that they handle the ball, the way that they handle pressure, the way that they play within a structured offense. And and I think he's a perfect fit for, for Jaeger's system as well. Yeah, you know, I think if Conley didn't get so injured in this last year, I'd probably have more to gripe about with that statement. But right now, as is, I, I think that you're absolutely right with those two. You know, on the system stuff, I think what you're seeing here is you need three to four really smart ball players to run what Golden State runs. And Portland's got two in, in Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum and a couple others that actually fit quite nicely. Mason Plumley fits them quite nicely. But even those guys... For as good as they are, when they faced tight defense in the playoffs, they were not able to react in the read. Kind of, they weren't able to react in the read and react offense. So, all these teams that are trying to do that really are just up against it. And and a lot of teams are trying to do that because of the way that the NBA defense is played right now, a typical star system that you might see in the 80s or the 90s or the early 2000s, it doesn't work as much. So, to win in this league, you do have to get five guys that play together and have that kind of a passing mentality that the Golden State Warriors show. It's just easier said than done. Yeah, I, I completely agree. All right, so let's kind of look at the roster as a whole. Uh, we've already covered that point guard position because that's what we always tend to cover is the point guard position because it's been nothing but straight drama. When we move to the shooting guard position, you're, you've never been a huge Aflalo guy, but do you see how he can work in this? Because I really like his post game. He actually does look like he's trying to play defense. He's strong, he's athletic, he can do a lot of things. Where are you at with him and Mac Lamore? And we're not even going to talk about Malachi because Malachi's not even going to play. Yeah, I, I think uh, Flalo, um, his defensive issues are, are definitely something that's on the table to discuss. He's got uh, awareness issues that he's got to clean up, and then the lateral quickness issues are going to definitely be an issue. Um, how big of the, these are issues. I, I don't think these are huge glaring issues, but I think that they do sap his effectiveness. Uh, I, I think if he's playing 26 minutes a game, that's good. When he starts playing 27 or more, I think you stop getting the additional value that you should be getting. And you should be getting it out of, out of other positions. And I think Garrett Temple is going to be a guy that you guys are going to want on that court as much as possible. His defensive ability is really, really strong for the position. And then facilitating the offense. I know there's a ton of people all over him for the way he facilitates the offense. I just am not seeing the same stuff. I think that he could be fine, you know, plugging the hole, so to speak, until uh, Darren Collison gets back. But you're going to want that guy on the floor 25 minutes per game. And that's going to close up that position. You know, I think between those two guys, you're going to see Ben get action early. I think he's on an eight-game audition to show if he can handle the big stage and and if they can get something for a trade and that will be that yeah interesting i've i've heard just strange things regarding why ben hadn't been traded you know the kings do still hold high value for him and uh he was the swap with michael carter williams the reason why they didn't go through is that the kings were actually looking for more in that deal than just Carter Williams in return, which I found interesting since one of them is one rookie of the year and one of them hasn't. That's the weirdest deal in the world because not only do the if, – if there's not something we don't know injury-wise. And you got to remember, he's had some – Michael Carter Williams has had some injury issues. So, But for the Kings to say they want more and then for the, the Bucks to turn around and trade him for Tony Snell, 
who to a to a Chicago reporter, every every single one of them will tell you he has not been good. He's been no. terrible. Yeah. And so that's and and you get Jason Kidd coming into this thing and saying that he's going to be the starter. Now Jason Kidd will say anything and then just change his mind one week later. But it's a, just a weird thing. I wonder if there's something going on with Michael Carter Williams that we just don't know about because the valuations are all skewed. Yeah, you know, just dealing with him in the past, I just don't think that most people believe he's the type of guy who can run a team, who can be a lead point guard. And while he's, you know, he, he plays a position and, and he's actually a really good ball handler and facilitator. He's got great height and length. You know, he, he's kind of like, uh, Sean Livingston, young Sean Livingston, as far as his size, he has all of these attributes that you would love to see. Uh, and he plays defense. Um, he, he can't shoot number one. And number two, I don't think personality wise, he fits into a lot of places. And I find that really interesting. The Chicago is like, we'll take him. And they have, well, and they have no shooters. They it's, have no shooters at all. That's the other weird part about this. Why did they do this deal? <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah, and that's a weird, weird locker room too. It is now because you're going to have all of this. Uh, you know, Dwayne Wade has always been alpha male in the locker room, and now he's there with Jimmy Butler and and Rondo, who again is an alpha male. And I don't know how that whole thing's going to work out. I was I was looking at that team, and I'm like, what are what are they doing? <laughs> and how are they going to win a bunch, or are they going to just completely be the biggest hot mess in basketball? And I think it's very possible that it, there is no middle ground for them. I don't think. So yeah. I, so I, I don't know how to. The short story there is I don't know how to evaluate Michael Carter Williams in the in this whole. Should they have traded Ben Mclemore for, you know, a bag of potato chips? A lot of fans ask. And yeah. in that case, Michael Carter Williams would be worth the deal. But I do think that what we saw out of the preseason from Ben was very mixed at best. He's still not feeling the game the way he needs to feel the game. And if that continues, I don't think Jaeger's going to just keep throwing him out there for 15 minutes a game. I think that'll be the end of the road for him in the rotation. So it's a big time, you know, put up moment for him and, and also for the trade status. Yeah, because the other thing I'll point out, because I don't want to harp on this forever. We've been on the shooting guard position now for like eight minutes. Um, but if you look at the Clippers game, it was Ben who's played against J.J. Reck so many times at this point in his career. I mean, this is his fourth season, but those two have been matched up so many times and he just gets torched every single time because he doesn't follow him. He doesn't cut under the pick he, or he goes under it when he's supposed to go over. He's just always a step behind when it comes to a savvy veteran and you're just waiting for that moment where the light bulb fully goes on and you're like, ah, I totally get it. So again, I don't know what's going to happen with Ben McLemore if he'll be on the roster the whole year or if this, you know, if they'll, heaven forbid, resign him next summer and keep going with this. Uh, but I definitely think his minutes are are going to be tough. He, it's going to be tough to come by because I think Aflalo is going to play 30. And then after that, it's going to be a battle for, for minutes between Collison once, once he's back and Lawson can play the point and they can play together a little bit. Uh, it'll be a, a battle with Temple. It'll be a, a battle with even bigger players. I think we'll see Omri Caspi see a couple of minutes there because they can go big with Omri and still shoot, uh, still have their shooting touch on the floor. So I, I think that th that is such a strange position, but it kind of carries over into the small forward position as well. So when we look at the small forward position, clearly Rudy Gay is, is a guy that in normal circumstances you would play 
33, 34, 35 minutes a night. I don't think we've, we're in normal circumstances with Rudy. And I don't think he's going to play that much because he wants out and his value is what it is. No one's going to grade his value differently if the Kings are playing him more or less. And so I kind of see the Kings using all kinds of players at that position, including Matt Barnes, Garrett Temple, Omri Caspi, even McLemore, even, again, Afalalo, uh, all of these guys to slide down to that position. And it, it really does lend me to the question of why is he still in Sacramento? Because they have that position covered. And, it, it's and that weird, story, right? yeah, the story out of Miami for the Goran Dragic thing, that I felt came out of Rudy's camp or somebody that's got an interest in pushing along a Rudy Gay deal. And I, I just don't think that the, the Heat are seriously entertaining that type of deal. They still hold Goran Dragic in high regard. He's still equal value to his contract at this point in time. And he's going to be a key cog for what they do this season. So I don't think there's anything going with that type of a thing. There's no way but, he's equal value to his career, to his, to his salary. He's owed $70 million over the next four years, and he's 30-plus. He'll be 31 this year. There's seventy. He's owed nineteen point two million in year four of that deal, and there's no way you're going to get value out of that. Foot footnote this discussion. I think he'll be an all star this year, and that'll um, that'll that'll be interesting because he will will be an all star. No way. It'll be close because you know he's never really had all star buzz, and it takes a player sometimes one missed year to get that kind of a buzz the following year. But he's going to put up some really big numbers this year in Miami. They're going to run. It's going to be his team. He's going to go. I don't know. I'd probably pull up my projections here and see where I got old Dragic going. But he is going to light it up. And as long as he stays healthy, I think he will definitely, without a doubt, be an all-star discussion. The question is, are the Heat winning? Does he need that that year of exposure with voters? Um, yeah, but back but to... they're not going to win, in my opinion, and so it's going to be really, really tough. I mean, I like Justice Winslow, but outside of that, I mean, I, I think I think if you look at Hassan Whiteside, he's really tough in the post if you have Dwayne Wade. If you have Chris Bosh, he's really tough. If you don't, I, I don't. I'm, they don't even have I'm Lou I'm circling the, the Heat matchup because of Cousins and Whiteside. Whiteside has improved, man. I no, mean, I, he I has a that. jumper now. That. He can hit free throws now. He is running uh, lob plays with with um, Justice Winslow, and they're running them pretty well. Tyler Johnson's way better than anybody's giving him credit for right now. Uh, Josh Richardson's injured. That will be a big footnote for the Kings. If he's back for that game, it changes the dynamic because they're so thin. This is the big thing with them. If they have any injuries at all, all bets are off. And that's why I actually didn't take that over is they're so paper thin. I mean, they're going to be playing three small guards you know, four small guards, really. Drogic being the biggest one, he'll be playing point. They're going to play those guys upwards of 30 minutes a game, each guy in those first three slots. Justice Winslow might not play small forward all year long. They got James Johnson that they're relying on, and he's and already Derek getting Williams, hurt. Right? And Derek Williams, the Kings fans will recognize some faces there. I mean, they are a mess, um, but I think if they stay healthy, <laughs> they'll, they'll overperform. But yeah, Drogic... He he will be in the all-star discussion as long as things don't go incredibly south there in the tanking sense. But they don't tank in Miami. That's just not something they do. Okay, so look, we, we've got that small forward spot. So, I mean, if we're going to talk about the, the Dragic deal, which, which of course, did not happen and, and likely is not going to be revisited anytime soon, 
then we have to look at the other deal that was there as well, which is resurfacing. Well, there's two more. There's the Rubio deal, which, again, everyone says the Kings are, are trying to get Rubio out of Minnesota. Uh, and Minnesota's kind of balking because they're concerned that Chris Dunn might not be ready to run that team full-time as, as a first-year player. And then there's also the Cameron Payne deal, which, of course, we hear was something, uh, and it probably would have included, like, Ilisova or something. Uh, but the Cameron Payne deal fell apart because Cameron Payne broke his foot again. And I know this personally, the Kings love Cameron Payne in the draft. They actually tried to trade and get a second first-round pick to get Cameron Payne last year. And so they did really, really like him. And that was this current management team that did really like Cameron Payne. So I'm not surprised that they've shopped that deal. But I don't think he's that great. And I know Rubio doesn't stick out to me as just like, oh my gosh, either. It's it's just coming down to can you get a point guard for for uh, Rudy Gay, and that's what it feels like. They they want someone who is under contract beyond this season, and that's something that they've struggled with is always finding a, a point guard. These things kill me because you're gonna get a bad deal no matter what. I mean, maybe somebody makes a Markeith Morris like deal where nobody in their right mind should have been parting with a first round pick. And they just go and they do it um, because somebody says so. But like, you know, sane thinking teams don't get out there and, and give anything of value for Rudy Gay. It's it's it just doesn't make any sense. Now, I don't know. he can still play. It's not like he's not a ball player. Well, he needs to show it in these first eight games then defensively, because that's the thing. We know what he can do offensively. And it's not like that's just, you know, a walk in the park that, you know, he's just a bona fide all-star on the offensive end. He still takes bad shots. He still, you know, has some issues on that side. So he's not the perfect offensive player, but it's defensively that drives all of the discussion as far as I'm concerned. If he can't at least be an average defender, then it makes his offensive contributions worthless because you're overpaying for them at that point. So, and you're in the twilight of his career. He has to go to a team that's in a win-now mode and he's got to fit them pretty well. And it, unfortunately for the Kings, there's just not a lot of teams out there that fit that mold. So this is one of those cases where it's almost better to take the hit in the offseason, get mentally prepared for it, get geared up, rather than have this situation loom and hang over them you know, throughout the season and try to play this as some sort of leverage game going into the trade deadline. Yeah, because that- I guess that's the thing. Can you get something of value, Some a young player, a, a future first-round draft pick, something, an expiring contract with a, a future first for gay is there a team out there that needs scoring punch and and would give something you know again it could it be a boston who gets to a point in the season where they're like yeah we we've got to have punch we've got to be able to we've got we need that extra push you know that's i think where you're going to find rudy gay has value and you know he can still get you six rebounds a game we're seeing his assist numbers jump right back up he was almost he was a three point eight assist, not last year but the year before, and then last year getting the ball pulled all out of his hands, he just completely fell apart as an assist man. But he can still do a lot of things on the court. I just think that, you know, again, you say defensively he he's not great. I, I think he's probably close to league average for a small forward at this point in his career. He's not just god awful most nights unless he's totally disengaged. So I, I do think he does have certain amount of value but you're right it has to be the certain the right opportunity someone who has to who's looking to jump over that 
and get into the playoffs or someone who thinks that they can go for it if they get him. You know, even like if the Clippers had anything to give, that's a, a team that you could look at that says, you know what, we we might have something if we had Rudy Gay at the three. And I, I don't know that... I'm shocked they haven't started thinking about that. Yeah, but and, I mean, and, that and they, they don't sense. have the assets, though. I know. They, they, they lost the assets <laughs> trying to do stuff like the Jeff Green deal. So it's... The, the Clippers are a, are a mess, and there's a reason why they're the Clippers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they would be a perfect fit. So you're looking for teams like that. And to your point about Cameron Payne, I've, I've always thought the Kings should be willing to part with Rudy Gay for something, a, a first-round pick in the 20 range. And if I was redrafting and looking at Cameron Payne, I'd probably put him in that range. And this foot injury, it sounds like it was an overuse injury where he could have played it a little bit more safe and the people around him could have played it more safe. And they would have been on a better track and then they didn't do that. So I wonder about the foot injuries or stuff we don't know that, you know, would sully any deal. But I would still make that deal. That's an interesting uh, thought. It is. I, I, I just I mean, if you know that there's nothing majorly wrong here, then he's got a light frame. The problem with Cameron Payne is he hasn't developed his, um, you know, upstairs. He, he still sees the game as too fast for him. So you wonder, is it going to slow down for him? But all the other stuff is there. And he, it, I don't think he'll be a great defender, but he could be okay, you know, because of his size and, and, and make it all work. But he's a real good fit for the Kings right now. That's an interesting thought. If you were just to do the deal now and say, throw all caution to the wind, say, we'll take Ilisova and we'll take, we'll take Payne and you take Rudy Gay and let them deal with, you know, what they have to do to make their, their team right at this point. They've already got the backup point guard spot you know, sort of fixed behind Westbrook, who's going to play 40 plus minutes a night. So, you know, they have Ronnie Price there and, and they've got, they've got the athletes to play it. So I guess, I guess you're right. Why wouldn't you do that? Because unless you think you can get more later, uh, but if, if that was ever on the table and it's something that you could pull the trigger on, that would make sense. Because again, if we just get back to our discussion at hand, which is a small forward position, I think the Kings can run, a combination of Omri Caspi, Matt Barnes, uh, Garrett Temple, Aaron Aflalo, and Ben McLemore out there and actually make that position work. I think they can. I, I don't think that that would be an issue this season. And then you hope to build the, the position next year and move forward with something different. Uh, or, you know, you've got two seasons, three seasons like this. Or you lock Omri Caspi up and you say you're a small forward for the for the next couple of years. So, I mean, I think it could actually work to not have Rudy Gay walking into the season, even though the season's like three days away. I just think that the Kings probably should have thought of this a little bit earlier and actually made something happen. Uh, but, you know, they they know more about this situation than we do. So I guess we, we shouldn't really say that. Yeah, it's hard to say. You just never know with this stuff. And the, the passing of information between teams is very in-depth on these guys, unless you're uh, the case of Drew Holiday and Philadelphia and New Orleans, where they don't disclose information. Like you get to get a pretty good snapshot of what's going on with the guy. So maybe they know something there. Um, I also think that this first eight games is a great trade enhancer, if you will. You know, there's going to be no Darren Collison. So Rudy's going to have to be very assertive between he and Ben and even Costa. You can really put these guys out there for eight games. And he also, Rudy also fits this offense so well that I don't know who would be that other guy down on the block if you're running DeMarcus in the high post. 
it, it the, the double low block with a flawlow and Rudy Gay is a really good look for the Kings. And I'm sure Jaeger's pushing to keep that look in place at least until this team starts to learn a system. I think what you would do is you would run Costa at the high post and you would run a double low post block with Aflalo and Cousins. And that might be what you have to do. So, And that brings us to the the next position, which is the four. And I think the Kings are going to start with a too big look and people are totally baffled why they're going to start with Costa and and Demarcus together. And it's, again, it's very simple. Jaeger has said this. He said, look, no team in the league goes big off the bench. Every team in the league, if they have bigs, they go big early. And then when they go to their bench is when they start making major adjustments where you start seeing Matt Barnes playing the four and you start seeing Omri Caspi or Anthony Tolliver playing the four. That's that moment. For right now, you know, what you have to do is try to balance out your roster and that's they're going to steal six to eight minutes in the beginning of the game, six to eight minutes at half for Costa Kufas. He may come back to finish his second quarter or finish a game here and there, but really the idea is for him to probably play 12 to 18 minutes a game depending on matchups and how it's going, and then let Cousins shift over, play the power, play the center position, and you filter guys in, the smalls, and then when Cousins goes to the bench, Willie Cauley-Stein comes in and, and plays four with a faster, I mean, plays five with a faster lineup. So I, I don't I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I certainly don't think that Willie is going to play the minutes that we thought he was going to play coming into this season, barring injury. And I also know that they have a glut there at the four where their reserves are Tolliver, again, Tolliver, Cauley-Stein, uh, uh, who else? Barnes, Caspi. They're going to play them all at that four, and someone's going to lose minutes. So, I don't. How do you see that, Aaron? I see it as a good move to put um, Kufus in the starting lineup because you know we always talk about: Are you matching up with the other team, or are they matching up with you? And you want the other team to adjust to you when you've got a position of strength. And Costa Kufus, his strength is defense and kind of being an all-around guy, not somebody that you want to stick out there and feature and say, okay, well, let's let Costa Kufos go to work on the on the small unit of the second unit of these teams. So you stick him out there for the placeholder minutes as a starter, and, and I just think that that works really well. And the question is, is who's getting the minutes after that? And if it's Willie Cauley-Stein, Anthony Tolliver, I don't think you're going to see Scal for a little bit. Um, and then how many minutes do the do the smalls get at the four? And, and that really sums it up. And I think with Willie – my final projection on his minutes was something in like the 26 to 28 range. So uh, 27, 28 minutes per game. And I, I, I think he'll probably start off slow, kind of like he, he's getting to be known for. And then he'll ramp it up and he will get more comfortable. And then at the end of the year, you'll see him playing 30 plus minutes per game. That's, it's possible. And I know Willie is learning. The, the interesting thing I found is I, I talked to I, – I wrote a piece this week about uh, – about Jaeger and sort of the transition between the free-flowing offense to a structured offense. And I talked to Rudy, and I talked to Anthony Tolliver, who is the coolest dude ever. We actually, he and and I and uh, Chris Clark, the, the Kings media director, got in a political discussion the other day after practice for about 45 minutes, which we're not going to discuss, except for the fact that he, he jokingly said that uh, he had looked at a tax calendar, uh, a tax um, calculator, and then if Bernie Stan- Sanders was 
elected president, he would have lost like an extra, an additional two and a half million dollars of his salary per year, <laughs> which I was like, oh, wow, that much. He's like, oh yeah, that much. Uh, he's a bright guy. But I talked to Willie and I talked to Anthony Tolliver. I talked to Rudy Gay, and all three of them, all three of them said, we love this system. We love this system way more. This is what we learn to play basketball in. This is what we feel comfortable in. We've got to learn our positions right, and Rudy has a leg up on that because he played in the system for so long in Memphis. But uh, he, they, all of them, they're like, we prefer this as opposed to the other t- style of system because there's nothing to fall back on in the other style, and they get left out. These are guys that would that could get frozen out in in the system where it's free flowing, and you know you're hoping that someone passes you the ball, and uh, and so they all really really enjoy the system. And they're ready to learn it the best they can and, and to make it flow during the season. Yeah, I mean, first, first of all, there's a reason Tolliver was the player rep for, um, I think he was with the Wolves at the time when uh, the CBA negotiations were, were hitting the skids a few years ago. He's a really smart dude and, and really just friendly and outgoing. And, He's and a great I think, dude. Yeah. yeah, I think Kings fans are going to really appreciate what he brings to the table. And that sneaky Tolliver hops has definitely been on display. He's been getting up there. And getting some nice blocks, and uh, but you know what you're going to get out of him, and I, I like him at about 18 to 22 minutes for the Kings before he starts to get a little bit too much um, playing time. Uh, System-wise, though, yeah, I, that that system was terrible from the preseason that it was implemented. It was terrible the season before. It's no wonder these guys love it, especially for a big man. You know where you're supposed to go. You know where you're supposed to stand. You're involved. It's uh, it's good for those guys. Yeah, that's what Willie said. He said, I, I actually get to be part of everything. I get to pass and I get to cut. I don't just have to stand in the corner or stand on the baseline. He's like, for me, or stand in the dunk zone, he said. I, it's not just about being a dunker for him. Um, and, and I really like, again, we talk about the system with these bigs. I liked Ben McLemore driving to the basket in that first game and dishing to Costa Kufis in the, in the Clippers game. I was like, whoa, what's this? I thought it has some nuances that I didn't know. And There's a couple flex cuts in there for Ben during the preseason that were really well executed. And and that was – with Ben, you don't want him to have to think. So he comes off a staggered screen in a position where it's catch, shoot, or do something else. But it's not this in-between stuff, <clears throat> and it makes the reads easier for him. And it's almost like for a guy that doesn't know how to inject himself into the game, you have to say, this is where you inject yourself in the game, right here. And, and once you master this, we'll open up everything else for you. But telling a guy who's having trouble, okay, just make it happen, you know, that's not going to work for him. So I like that little wrinkle, but I still have seen Ben do way too much stuff kind of off the cuff that doesn't pass the test. I hear you. Okay, so – and let's just get to the last thing, and that's the three rookies. Um, of course, we already mentioned that it, it does look like Malachi uh, – I mean Malachi Richardson, uh, Scal Lebissier – and uh, Papa G are all going to be on the roster, but Isaiah Cousins does not look like he's going to make the roster. Actually, he's not going to make the roster. There's no way it's going to happen. The Kings are really hoping that he will spend the season with Derek Martin in Reno, and we can start this process over again. Uh, but they did sign him, and he, from what I know, they signed him to a contract that he will not have. They won't retain his rights after he's waived. And so if he's claimed off waivers, he goes. If someone decides to pick him up midseason, he goes. He won't be one of those second-round draft picks that sit there and hang out. But he will also be a second-round draft pick that goes to Reno because he got some guaranteed money. 
and actually plays in the king system and learns what the kings are trying to do and and tries to develop. But that really does lead me to the other three, which is Scal and, and Malachi and Gorgeous Georges. Uh, they are not going to play. Uh, and I, I think Ken Cadenella said it really well in the first part of the podcast. He said, look, we built a roster where we have young players that we're developing. We've got veterans who are holding down the shop. We're, we're trying to fight for a playoff spot. We're not going to sort of, we're not going to give in and just say, we're just rebuilding. But if somehow one of these rookies decides that he's, he's figured it out and he's doing work that coach Yeager says, my goodness, it's time. And they want to go to these guys that they can, that they have the ability to, to shift and move guys around and say, you know what, it's time to give Scal a, a legitimate shot. I don't see that happening early in the season. They they gave him a little taste here and there, starting two or three games during the preseason, and it did not work out that well just because he needs more confidence. But I'll tell you, everyone around the team is blown away by him. And what they're trying to do, I think, if you pull back a little bit, you say, what do they think they have in Scal? And I think what, at a bare minimum, I think they, they believe they have a better version of Jeff Green from Jaeger's time in Memphis. Uh, down the road, that's what they'll have. And if you look at Papianis, they they don't have Marcus All right now. But can they teach him some of the things that makes Marcus All so good? His defensive positioning, his high post passing skills. Um, can he get to somewhere down the line a poor man's version of that? And so these guys start to make a little bit more sense as draft picks. And it's going to take a while, but the Kings have a team that's built where these guys don't have to actually play right now. And I think that's a good thing, Aaron. Oh, yeah, absolutely. These guys need all sorts of seasoning. And I, I think with Papa G, I, I noticed he was a lot thinner in person at, at uh, Media Day than Tons. he appeared. Yeah, he's on, lost more uh, weight, too. And that's really important for him. I, I I mean, just looking at him, I thought, you know, this is a guy that's going to be able to at least be a backup in the NBA, you know. And I think if he brings anything else to the table skill-wise, he'll be able to have that backup role. He won't be, like, out of the league like a lot of these big-bodied centers that you see kind of come in and go out like a Greg Stiemsma comes to mind or something like that. Um, so I, I think that that's, that's big for him. The losing of the weight, I don't know who got in his ear or what or why or how or why that you know, wasn't the case when he got to summer league, but that was a good thing for him. And yeah, just in general, Scal's going to be the guy that I think everybody gets hyped up about because you could see the upside right now. You could just see it in his game. He's got that snap. He's got the ability to get a shot off. He just now has to get the awareness. And, and I mean, little things like he got thrown into jail so many times on the glass in preseason action. Like I stopped losing, I started losing count. And so he will learn that you got to look for the guy. He's going to come and he's going to push you underneath the glass. You got to get, you know, out of that, that mentality of being reactive there and he'll figure that stuff out. So I think he's going to be a guy that you could see actually make, you know, 15 minutes a game at the pro level this year. Yeah. And I think the one guy we have left over there, Malachi, he's just lost in a numbers game, but there could come a time where he's valuable to this team. I could. Maybe the thing about him year, is he he'll just come next. in and shoot. I mean, that's the you know with him you don't worry about his his readiness to step in and take shots, and that's he, tough for a rookie. He's been sitting there fighting with a veteran shooting in three point contests, and and he he's winning almost every day. That everything <laughs> that everyone says about him, he has a swagger, he has a look that he belongs, and they all believe he will be a very very good player. Plus, six six with like a seven foot seven foot one wingspan. 
they think he can actually be a good defensive player. Right now, they're working on things like his strength, uh, things like his his shot selection to try to make him just a more valuable tool going forward. They're refining his game, which I think is is what he really needs. He needed a year with professional coaches, not college coaches, waiting to see what's going to happen for their their squad next year. All yeah, right, Aaron. Playing. That playing will humble you real quick, and he's the kind of guy that if he can get it all straightened out, he'll be good. I think so too. All right, let's get to our, our predictions uh, on the season. And I, I've given my predictions on CSN, but I, I let's let's hear it, Aaron. Drum roll. What is your prediction? Okay, so I'm going to hate myself for, for this, but I'm going to do 44 wins. And, and I feel really dumb for this because I thought Rondo was a net negative, you know, before he got signed. And this is very much the same team, just with a coaching upgrade and a, a kind of a, a vibe upgrade and everything. So if I'm going 47 in a previous year, for me, me to not go 47 this year, I feel like like a complete wimp. This sucks. But I'm going 44, and it's, to me, when you just look at, that's three games over 500. I think that they can beat up a little bit on the, the middle of the West and teams that think that a lot of folks think that are not, or that, that will be better. I think they won't be as good. Um, and then I think in the East, they've definitely got a chance to rack up enough wins to meet the 44-win mark. That's a lot of wins. Um, I'm going to go with what I've said on CSN, and that is 38. Now, ah. I, I have asked ah. for, for a wild plus-minus, uh, and, and I'm going to say the same plus-minus. And I'm going to explain my plus-minus. I have a plus-minus of seven. And people are like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. And yeah, I'm like, that makes no sense. It does make sense. If they can avoid the drama, I think they can push towards 45 wins. Oh, you cannot do that. I think if they can avoid the drama, they will drop all the way down to 30, 31 wins. And I think that two weeks ago, before the Rudy Gay stuff started getting in the way again and Ty Lawson's stuff started getting away, I was ready to go 40, 41 wins. I just see the drama again it's... and again and again, and it just eats at uh, it, it eats away at the base of your team at all it, times. That that has worried me, and that makes me a little bit more. That's part of the basis for sticking at forty four. But it's I, tough, man. I watch this team, and I see how the even when it feels like it's nothing, it's still something. It still hurts. It still gets in the way. It's still a distraction for everyone involved. It takes time away from the coaching staff. It takes time. It does. And if this team, I mean, if they trade Rudy Gay midseason, the win total changes. If they if they don't trade Rudy Gay and he starts to melt down, it changes. And as long as they can keep the drama on the sidelines, I think this can be a really, really good, not great, but a really good, solid team that could they could push for the playoffs. But if they let this stuff get in the way like it does almost every year with this team, it's going to be a long season again, and we'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah, it's 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 you you don't get this this plus minus of seven wins like that's not a thing. It is, but I do understand <laughs> you cannot have a plus minus of seven wins. I think the Kings will win anywhere between thirty one and forty some odd games. No, <laughs> you do not get to do My that. My real Jake pick Tam. is is thirty eight, and it would have been forty last week. See, I just think it's ago. yeah. You were over forty, but then you jumped down to thirty-eight. That's good though. I like being on the island by myself. I also don't like to follow the public rankings on stuff, and you know I do this for twenty-nine other teams as well. So it's not like 
you know, I'm just looking at the Kings and, and just making this stuff up. Like they actually have the pieces to, they should put it this way. If they don't win 40 games this year, it's not because they don't have the talent. It's because of all the stuff that we've discussed and, and that's that. So uh, I think that Jaeger has got a better pulse on the situation. I think that the organization is ready to move forward. Um, might not be as fast as, as it should be, but I think that this is going to be that turning point with or without DeMarcus Cousins. I think the organization is turning the boat slowly. There you go. All right, so we've got a lot of stuff going on this week. Uh, this is this is when it all begins, for real. Uh, very excited. Wednesday night, um, I will be in studio for our pregame, postgame show with Doug uh, Christie and Jim Cosimore. The Kings open their season up against the Phoenix Suns. On Thursday night, they return home the first ever game in the Golden One Center against the San Antonio Spurs. It should be a magical night, an absolutely incredible night where I think you're going to see tears. You're going to see an overwhelmed crowd. Uh, Just the emotion will be at an all-time high. Uh, Win or lose, I don't really think it matters. That's a really tough Spurs team. Um, let's see, we've got, uh, we've got exciting news on sponsor coming up, which, uh, is always a good thing on the podcasting side. Uh, we've also, I just want to once again, give a shout out. We are now the CSN podcasting network. We have a whole entire network of regional sports, uh, podcasts here in, with the Bay area sports groups. So if you want to listen to Matt Mayako or Scott Bear. Uh, Alex Pavlovich or Joe Stiglitz. Um, we've got you covered with all of these awesome podcasts that are just absolutely, they are getting guests that are just like otherworldly. I mean, seriously. I love, love those guys. They do such a great job. Yeah. I mean, when you're bringing in Derek Carr and, you, you know, of course, all of these guys are bringing in heavy hitters almost every single week. It's absolutely spectacular. So uh, give the other podcasts a listen. I, I know the podcasting world is, is, growing and becoming a, a powerful tool for for journalists to uh to do long-form journalism sort of through podcasting and and so that's my take on it but uh so give those guys a listen and uh Aaron do you have any any final thoughts yeah this is a really big moment I think for me personally um you know one door opens another door shuts kind of thing where I've been um, you know, doing hoop ball for a year now. But prior to that was really the Sacramento Kings chapter of my life where um, I, I almost basically stopped doing everything and, and became you know, the Kings beat reporter for the relocation story. And it was uh, a wild four to five years. And to see it culminate in this type of a moment and knowing all of the stories that have gone on in the background and, and basically – you know, having enough to fill five books, which at some point in time I really have to do to tell the stories of the people behind the scenes that made everything click. It's um, it's going to be rewarding, and it's something that I think, no matter what you think about this Kings team, you just take a just a small moment and just enjoy this moment because it's going to be awesome. I think it will be awesome as well. And you know, covering all the way through all of this stuff, it it, it was it took a toll. It took a toll on everyone. Uh, it, it was a learning experience for everyone. But uh, Kings fans, you got your building. You got everything. It, it's culminating in something that's outstanding. And I think fans are going to be very happy, except for those of you in the upper deck who will still be pissed that you have no cup holder. Uh, so, so that's going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider podcast. We'll be back 
later this week with something new, something different, something you haven't seen before, or maybe it will be something similar, but two games of actual NBA basketball to talk about as the Sacramento Kings open the 2016-17 season. Uh, We will see you next week. We'll be right back.